Ladies and gentlemen, citizens of the universe, fantasy footballers, Dynasty League dirtballs, NFL draft fans, and DFS degenerates worldwide, this is the Roster Watch Podcast, presented by RosterWatch.com. Roster Watch Nation, prepare for pop, flash, and sizzle. Prepare for knowledge bombs and cockamamie business. The Roster Watch crew is here to deliver the goods you can't find anywhere else. Here is your host, RosterWatch.com Editor-in-Chief, Alex Dunlap. Ladies and gentlemen, Roster Watch Nation, welcome back to the epic Roster Watch podcast brought to you by RosterWatch.com. My name is Alex Dunlap here, of course, with Byron Lambert. We are getting pumped up here at Roster Watch to make our annual pilgrimage to the NFL Combine here next week. We have our credentials in tow. We have our airplane tickets ready to go. In just a few days, we will have to be pre boarding via online processes and meeting up in Indianapolis where we will eat a bunch of shrimp cocktail, talk to a bunch of these players, get to see them live, especially what we love is the seeing the wide receiver drills live from inside Lucas Oil Stadium. We'll have all of those grades and all of those uh, rankings up at rosterwatch.com for our pro subscribers. We'll also be breaking down what all the NFL coaches, GMs, and um, and the like talk about at the press conference availabilities as they pertain to our fantasy football teams. So it's a whole ton of stuff coming up here uh, in the coming week from your boys at Roster Watch. Byron, you excited about getting up to Indy? Yeah, man, it's going to be a long trip up there this time. What do you mean? Well, it just seems like maybe we're staying a full extra day, so who knows what we'll be snooping around on that that Sunday. Yeah, they, they well every year they swindle us by changing up the changing up the schedule, and so we never know you know we never know exactly what's what. And the NFL won't tell you what days that the coach availabilities are, so we had to depend on some people who we knew it's serious to let us know kind of what their plans were, but we didn't want to miss any of the availabilities at the beginning of the week, did not want to miss our opportunity to view from the PFWA suite all the wide receiver stuff at the end of the week. So it seems like we've tacked on an extra day, but it'll all be in good fun, especially for me who is um, in the throes of infant childhood with a couple of uh, <laughs> a couple of uh, a toddler and a young um, – a young newborn here at the house, man. It'll be nice to, nice to um, have some peace and quiet. But so, all right. So, to, but today on the pod, Byron and I have both kind of gotten our initial top ten rankings of our 2018 running backs. Now, these are initial rankings. Byron will have his. I'll have mine. We'll also talk a little bit about the trash mans. But um, you know, you can expect these to probably change a little bit through the course of the process, certainly as we get information in from our uh, different models, as we get information in from the combine, from the pro day tour, from some of the analytical uh, proprietary data that we will be uh, gathering through the draft process, these lists are very likely to 
change, and you need to remember that neither of these lists that we'll talk about today, the trash man's list, uh, any of the market score stuff, any of the college production models, none of that in itself is going to make our final rankings. You can follow along with all the tools that will go into our final rankings at rosterwatch.com, but maybe it'll give you a sense and a peek behind the curtain as to sort of how we're seeing things. Uh, we also asked on Twitter last night for listener questions, which is something we haven't done here on the podcast before, but I thought it'd be fun to answer some random questions from Twitter that some of our listeners have. So we will get to a few of those. I have not read them all. So we'll just kind of, you know, rapid fire through those and, uh, see if Byron and I could come up with good answers here on the fly. Um, how do you want to get started, Byron? You want to just uh, go? Do you want to talk about your? Just want to go through your backs, numbers one through ten, and I'll tell you who my number one is. And then you say your number two, and I'll say mine, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> show me your, show me mine. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> for, first off, uh, you, I think you'll appreciate this. It's given me an idea, something I'm going to do in the next year or so. But with you, with the kids, you may really want to think about doing this. I was over at my good buddy's house. Uh, he's from from high school up in. Uh, he lives up in Frisco these days, up in North Texas. Just a beautiful house on a you know nice lot, real real mint condition area up there. And uh, man, he took me upstairs to his media room, where, where he has a projector and a massive screen on the other side, hanging on one wall. And dude, he brings his two little boys in there, and he's a real car connoisseur. Like he has a, um, he's had a Ford Raptor, and he's got a Dodge Hellcat, and all this kind of stuff. He takes his boys up there. He's like, you know, three and six year old boys, and they get fired up watching YouTube videos of like street races and modified <laughs> souped up cars on the biggest on the biggest fucking screen you can ever imagine i mean the size of a of a of a wall in a room i mean it's a solid you know at least 10 by 10 i mean a monster and and the resolution's really good the sound system's amazing i started thinking man in the next year or so i'm about to set one of these rigs up this is how i'm going to start scouting my prospects yeah well it sounds like a sick way to do it it's a better i mean i you know how i do it i just have in my workstation i have a i have a 40 inch monitor because i can't look at a you know a laptop monitor or even really a tv that's across the room i like to have the monitor right here in front of me but i i do i think that probably a 10 by 10 yeah that'd be a really really sick way to do it i'll have to put that in mind for whenever i uh get into my next house for you know possible man cave and stuff because you certainly need you certainly need one you need a place to get away all of my friends who are having really successful situations with their children have big houses where they can put the kids on one side and they can do all their work that they need to do on the other side. And there's a nice, plenty of room for everybody, not, you know, kind of have your own space and get your own things done. But I thought it was really cool because you just set up a couch on one side of the room and you can sit down and you can get one of those projectors off of Amazon, really nice quality for not too expensive they're pretty small and it's an easy setup, man. So anything, anyway, something to keep in mind for the new crib. I, I know this next year. So I was imagining next draft season being in a room with the volume turned up and a huge projector and a massive screen watching these guys, man, get put, putting these running back grades together because we're, we've taken our inputs <laughs> this off season to a whole nother level. And I know Alex called these our initial rankings, which they are their initial uh, running back rankings pre-combine, but I want to stress there's nothing too initial about what I've done here. This is the most robust, comprehensive 
set of running back evaluations and inputs I've ever charted. Um, I've, everything we've done in the past is just kind of put it on steroids this offseason, and, and, and we're systematizing it a little more, and everything is going to marry together in a way it's, it never has before, and it should result in the in uh, the the strongest rookie fantasy intelligence that we've ever offered at rosterwatch.com for our pro subscribers. And so and do you know what's so messed up is the minute the the NFL draft happens, we're going to have to re-rank them all. <laughs> you know, it's just so And I actually have yeah. some really cool idea really cool ideas about how I'd like to talk about doing that this year, but that that is that is true. Our dynasty fortunes are projections change instantly there has to be like a coefficient associated with the landing spot as we systematize things we'll certainly talk about that as we move through the draft season i'm sure i'll have plenty of time over shrimp cocktails in indianapolis to start hashing it out but however what i've done here is i've created a 240 point running back scale and i mean i'm very i don't expect these great there's a couple guys that I think combine and pro day are extraordinarily important too. We'll get to those guys as we go through here. Um, I'm 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 expecting my film evaluation to be certainly um, by far the leading component in my outputs this year. I, I'm not expecting the combine to change my opinion a whole lot on these guys. We'll see. I'm I'm going with an open mind and more prepared than I ever have before. So. Uh, I guess let's just start at the top of the heap. I I to I tried to just get through the consensus top ten that are out there right now, and it I it actually left me with my uh, top eleven to begin. So that's funny. I know that's that, funny that I that I have eleven too. I I have two that I just have tied at ten. So yeah, so I have I have to have a top. We have to have a top eleven here going into the combine. And look, let's throw this out there. Everybody talks of the depth of the running back class last year. It's deeper. I'd ar- well, I'd argue that this is better. I'd argue this is a deeper. This is a deeper running back class than last year. Last year, you we were saying, man, there's guys like one through eight that they're all good, and you're going to have one of them ranked number eight, and it's going to make it look like you don't like them, but you really do. This year, there's. 10, 12 guys. 15 for me. Yeah, that the easy, that it, that it, it goes that deep. And so it's because I have some guy at number 10, I want to be clear, it's, it's, it's not because I don't like him, but certainly I'm able to quantify how much I like him a lot more this year. And I can see that we can really examine, you know, how much more I like somebody than somebody else. So we can kind of examine what the threshold is, the Mendoza line is going to be for a prospect's for for prospects that we you know really really like you know even if they do rate you know number ten on our our on our list and so, um, you know we've been fortunate the last few years to get Todd Gurley, Zeke Elliott, Leonard Fournette. You know I'd argue that the top two in this class are better than the top two in last year's class. I think you could argue that the top five in last year's top four or five in last year's class where maybe had a little more workhorse quality up and down to it than this year's top four or five. But Alex, like Alex said, this thing goes about 10 or 15 deep where last year was about seven to 10 deep. So extraordinary class. We've had the Todd Gurley. We've had the Zeke Elliott. We've had the Leonard Fournette, all guys that you know are golden children of roster watch nation players that are just Hey, look! It, it sounds like you're. It sounds like old hat, and it sounds like you're the boy who cried wolf. And every year, it's a transcendent generational running back talent. But the proof is in the pudding. You guys have seen how good Gurley are, Gurley, Zeke, and Fournette are. And look, I think Alex and I are in agreement. I mean, 
Saquon Barkley absolutely belongs in that group. And I think there's a pretty reasonable argument to be made that he actually patrols at the top of that heap. Yeah, I think so too. He's just, I mean, so clearly Saquon Barkley are uh, my number one. Um, just so productive, 54 catches last year. And he, it wasn't just catches out of the backfield. It was, you know, they lined him up in the slot. They lined him up outside as a wide receiver. He runs routes like a really good wide receiver prospect. And I know that there's more and more people starting to kind of complain about Saquon Barkley and, and find his faults. I know that there's a lot of people that are throwing around different stats, I believe, from PFF about the number of negative plays that he was responsible for. Um, and, uh, you know, I'll say this. Um, I don't think that I'm, you know, I don't think that he is a generational transcendent between the tackles inside runner from what we saw on college tape. But I do think he's an unbelievable one and a very good one where I think he is just where I think he's just sensational and maybe the maybe the best I've ever seen is just his for for I mean his suddenness his top end speed his creativity his ability to uh, elude would be tacklers in every possible way um he can he he can run you over he can juke you out of your jock and he can just straight run by you he he can he can eliminate your angles he is a dynamo Saquon Barkley is the most exciting prospect that I I mean it's really hard between him and Gurley for me, but I mean we've been doing this seven eight years now. I, I'm pretty sure. I mean I, I think I think I have to say that Saquon's the best I've the you know the the best I've ever seen. Um, I think that when you're looking at the offensive line, I did a lot of work on this offensive line because I had to write at length about the new hire that Texas made in its offensive line coach Herb Hand. Um, Herb Hand spent time at Penn State and then last year was at Auburn, now at Texas as the uh, offensive line coach and some kind of assistant head coach or something like that. But that that offensive line at Penn State is trash. That's a bad, bad, bad offensive line. Uh, I think that Saquon Barkley didn't have the opportunities inside and the creases inside that you know, some of these other guys did. And, you know, you see people on Twitter who we follow and who we respect. I know that Graham Barfield from Fantasy Guru uh, just did a study on Saquon Barkley where he charted all of his runs. And I know in one game out of his 21 carries in that game, uh, I think he said in seven of those 21 carries. So on it was the it was the Ohio State game, the game that I think worries a lot of people. Uh, even though in that game, even though Saquon Barkley didn't have his best rushing game, he still had like a one. He still ran the opening kick back for a touchdown, and you know had a big impact on that game. But in that game, the Penn State offensive line let the def, let a defender in the backfield to make contact with Barkley on seven of his twenty one carries. So. I think offensive line play had a whole lot to do with it. I think that uh, in, in the right situation with a good offensive line, he's going to be a much more effective between the tackles runner, which is going to make him an absolutely elite between the tackles runner because he's not bad as it is. And that's the one, maybe one area of his game that you can kind of nitpick. 
as far as his ability to get outside on outside zone runs, his ability to uh, run run power and man schemes off tackle, um, his ability to just e- even get to the corner when there's nothing for him to create uh, there in any open lanes to the interior, he's just he's going to beat you. He is sensational, and as a and as a receiver. I've I've never seen a type of dual threat weapon the same way that Saquon Barkley is. I've never seen a man of 230 pounds run that fast, uh, att- att- you know, attack the football with such soft hands to get upfield with such precision and ease, you know, and such suddenness. He's um, just he's unbelievable. He's unbelievable. I I don't think that there's too much to pick apart with him, and. You know, you look at his production over the, you know, you look at his production just over the course of his career there at Penn State. It's just for me, he's an easy number one on the list, and that's not going to change. Yeah, I'll make the argument that it's not as easy as a number one is uh, for me as as maybe it is for you. Um, but just maybe quickly before I make that comparison, as far as Saquon, he scores sensationally across all categories it's a 240 point running back scale I've developed he's scored 213 points on that scale I would agree he's sensational he's a magician and he's fantastic in every single category that you can draw up where where his I I, I hate to even call it a deficiency where he scores the lowest for me it's and you and I are seeing the exact same thing he's he could be a more natural downhill runner. And that's where he gets his low, lowest grade for me. But it's still a high grade. <laughs> it's just not as high as maybe somebody like the next, the number two on my list. And that's Darius Geis out of LSU. I mentioned that Saquon Barkley has scored 213 points on a 240-point running back scale that I've developed. Darius Geis in a virtual tie at 211 points, I've been fudging between 211 and 212 with him. Um, a virtual tie with Saquon Barkley. And uh, I think the simple way to frame this argument or this rationale for the folks that believe that Darius Geis is RB1 in this class. And look, I, I, I can make a strong argument for that. Uh, I, I would argue that guys like Saquon Barkley, Todd Gurley... Fournette and Zeke to a little bit lesser extent. Those guys are beastly, freakish, transcendent athletes, size, speed, weight freaks that happen to be really fucking good running backs because they're such sensational, uh, you know, uh, high height, speed, weight freaks, weight freaks, and just athletes, right? Darius Geis came out of the womb, born to be an NFL runner. He is the purest NFL running back prospect I have ever scouted, purely as an NF, as he projects to becoming an NFL runner. Take the other stuff away. Take some of the dazzling, sensational, over-the-top, uber-athleticism out of the picture and look at just... This man, everything this man does is he was is born to be an NFL runner on the on the field. He was just there's just some guys that are like that. And that's where Darius guys grades better for me in a few categories than Saquon, which has made this 
like I said, a virtual tie at number two. And I, I certainly see the argument for him at number one. And uh, where I'd make the strongest argument is more like we've talked about Alex's post-draft. If Darius Geis ends up somewhere like the 49ers in a system I really believe in, unless Saquon ends up somewhere fairly comparable, I think there's a strong argument for Geis at number one in Dynasty in a system, in a running oriented system that's really tailored for his skills. So maybe what I can do here is go through my comparisons with Barkley and Geis and kind of enumerate a little bit where I'm where I'm seeing the differences. Yeah, just let me so, let me say just before that, I just wanted to throw it out there that people worry about his ability to catch the football just because he only caught 18 footballs last year for LSU. I would just say, you know, don't be lazy. That's not the way to look at it. Go look at the Army All-American game from 20, was 2014 or 2015, whichever one he was the MVP of. Look where he lined up in that game. Look what position he played. He lined up a ton at wide receiver. He made a ton of big catches and big runs. He has nice soft hands too. He's going to be one guy who I'm going to make, I'm going to, I'm going to borrow a term from Mayock and I'm going to pound the table that we cut out budget at roster watch to get out to that LSU pro day because I want to see him catching footballs at pro day. I think it's going to look very surprising to a lot of people, much like Derrick Henry was at his pro day where people forgot as a high schooler, what an unbelievable receiver this player was. Let's not be lazy and just look at the reception numbers from his uh, last season at LSU. Let's remember that this is the guy who showed us that he can be a dazzling receiver in the past. So you put that on top of what Byron has said is the best pure runner he's ever evaluated. You're starting to look at a guy like, look, you could be happy at 1.01 in dynasty with, with Saquon Barkley, and you could be just as happy with 1.02. I, 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 I'm like Byron. I think these two guys are on a tier completely their own. Um, it's hard splitting the hairs between the two of them, um, but they're on their own tier. But anyway, so just uh, – I, I, Well, I would have no problem if Kyle Shanahan or John Gruden pulled the trigger on Darius Geis at 9 or 10 because they figure that that's just, just what the doctor ordered for their – for their offenses. I'm I usually don't subscribe to that, but he really look, Todd Gurley wouldn't have gone number ten if it hadn't been for the ACL. These these generational guys are top five. And what we're saying is guys sitting too far off. I, I'm I think he's I'll be surprised if he doesn't go in the first round. So look, Saquon Barkley has the he has the dreamy Zeke Elliott body type build and size. It's the top of the mountain for running back size and build. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll admit that Darius Geis, even though he's an extremely violent and physical runner, is, uh, I'm definitely going to be curious to see if he really does weigh in at this 218 at the combine. He's a little slider of frame. So give a, obviously give Sa- – Saquon is, you know, uh, he, he's in the top top percentile for for running back size and build that that's ever existed. So that's where that's that's certainly an area where they differ. Look, they both have fantastic feet. Darius Geis has guys has some of the best feet that I've ever seen. I told Alex, he's just got lighter feet. He doesn't run with as wide of a base. It's easier for him to piston those feet up and down quickly. And not only does he do that in order to maneuver through the field he also does that on contact to power through create power and to create yards after contact uh i have them both as as good receivers i mean i mean as good blockers i have darius geis as a better blocker um, a meaner 
better blocker than Saquon Barkley. He really loves to go stick his nose in there. Barkley's good. Darius Geis likes to get in there and hit somebody. Uh, Darius Geis, I give him, you know, total power. I know Saquon power lifts 600 pounds or whatever, but per, per pound and for his running style in the NFL, Darius Geis finishes runs with more power than Barkley, even though Barkley is has excellent power. You know, I'm splitting the hairs here. Right. Give Saquon Barkley the edge in short area burst. I think he, I give. I, di- I mean, yes, clearly, right. Slight edge to Darius Geis and just not being a natural running back. His instincts, his patience, his feel. He's exceptional. He's sensational in that category. Barkley's phenomenal. Darius Geis was born to be an NFL runner. On first contact, they're both at the top of the mountain. Slide it to Darius Geis. I mean, you hear the Marshawn Lynch compared. I'm, we're always surprised that Marshawn Lynch only weighs 215. Who runs more violent on first contact than him? Nobody. And so, again, we're going to be very curious to see if Geis really does come in at the 218. Geis ranks a little bit higher for me just in, like like I said, physicality, forward lean, and fish, finishing ability. Um, Barkley is more sudden. And then where Barkley really outdoes, I, I, they both grade high, but where Barkley really separates other than his size from Darius Geis is he's the ultimate creator. Guys can create, but D- Barkley is the ultimate creator. It's magic. And he's the magician. And then strikes fear into the defense. Nobody strikes more fear into the defense than Saquon Barkley. No, I I agree. Those those are all good points. You and I will have to just agree to disagree about the feet. I understand what you're saying about his feet through contact, his feet through the line of scrimmage. Darius Geis' feet are amazing, but it's just, to me, Saquon – you know, Saquon has great feet. Yeah. I just don't think they're quite. You got to split the hairs. I think it's amazing versus really, really great. I think that you, you I know? just think that you like Darius Geis's feet functionally, which is which yeah. makes well, all that's the a sense. Big part right. of it, which makes all the sense. I, you know, I'd also say, too, I'm looking here, I have a little bit of a higher grade. I certainly have a higher grade on Saquon as a workhorse. So just his body type, his ability to create the fiery strikes in a defense. His elusiveness, his workhorse capabilities, that's what gives him the edge. Those are really all his physical – a lot of those are physical tools he was born with. Geist gets the edge to me uh, a little bit and just his in his his instincts for the game, the power that he finishes with, and uh, his, his blocking and his feet I think are slightly better. So for my comps, for my comparisons for Saquon Barkley or LaDainian Tomlinson, Zeke Elliott, LaShawn McCoy and Kareem Hunt. For Darius Geis, my comps are Marshawn Lynch, Alex Collins, Devontae Freeman, Zeke Elliott, and Jamal Charles. Those are good comps. <laughs> Those are good comps. My comp for Barkley's always been Ladanian. Uh, my comp for Darius Geis has always been a Marshawn Lynch, Alex Collins type of running back. I think he's got a little bit of Zeke in him, too. So. I think we're along. He's a little bit of a baby, a little bit of a baby Zeke for sure. Uh, Okay, well, I expect this is where things could start to get (laughs) interesting in our in our rankings. I I actually have a feeling that might be the same here. Who is your number three? I don't think it'll be the same, but I think my I think my number four will be your number three. My number three is Carry On Johnson from Auburn. Yeah, you know. 
that's interesting that you mentioned that because I have two guys that for me post evaluation the the, the combine is going to be very important. And that's, I really that's so funny s- that people keep talking about how important the the, the combine is for for carry on Johnson. But I'll be interested to hear why you think so. Maybe I'll tell you why I like him. Um, you know, very very productive. Uh, he has a running style that reminds me a ton of Le'Veon Bell and college Demarco Murray. He's got that kind of um, upright prowler kind of running style to him, but he seems like he's got the type of body to where he doesn't expose himself to too, too much of a beating. You know, he's a little bit taller, maybe a little bit thinner than you would like. He, you know, we haven't projected to weigh in at around 212 at the combine. I don't know if he's going to be, I think, I think that's kind of where he's going to be the 212 to 218 range. I think he's going to be right at six feet tall. But just his patience, I love his I love his vision, I love his physicality, I love the way that um, you know it just it reminds you of um, you know what 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 Gus what Gus Malzahn does there. It reminds you a little bit of you know to to me he reminds me of all those guys with the way he runs, the way that we. Uh, the the way that we kind of talked about with the tall tall guys with really good patience, really good vision, almost like the overly done patience, like a Le'Veon. He's not a Le'Veon, but he kind of reminds you of that in the way that when they put him in the Wildcat, uh, the way he just kind of diagnoses things and kind of find you know kind of dances around and finds his spot and then just goes to it. Very creative. You know, the way that he's creative like that stylistically reminds me a little bit of Devontae Freeman, although Devontae Freeman is not a good comp because his body style is a whole lot different. Um, but I think, some, you know, a, a stylistically a little bit like Devontae Freeman, uh, the way that he is deliberate as a college runner and patient and in, 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 in attacking the hole, not quite in a Le'Veon Bell sort of float like a butterfly and then go, but kind of close to that with the, that, with that DeMarco Murray frame. And we, we also saw that he was capable. He's also a really good pass catcher, um, caught, caught 24 footballs last year. Um, you know, it was uber productive with 20 touchdowns last year. That's a higher market share as far as touchdowns go than Saquon Barkley or Darius guys. So, uh, you know, as the trash man would say, he has a uh, nose for the end zone, um, you know, super, super productive on the ground, 1,585 yards last year. Um, I, I think that carry on Johnson is, uh, I mean, I think he's for sure a day two or a round two pick. Um, I think he's, I think he's fantastic. It's a little bit hard for me here. These between these next, really these next three, but as I split the hairs, I'm currently right now have carry on Johnson, uh, ranked in my third spot. Yeah, so for me, the NFL Combine is biggest for Nick Chubb and Carryon Johnson. And, you know, you always wonder if the order you scout these guys in has anything to do with the way you feel about them. I know um, there, every single year there's just like the one or two guys. You know, even as long as we've done this, we have a great feel for it. There's always just – and it's different for every set of eyes, for every person. There's always the one or two guys that just is a struggle personally for you to evaluate – and for me, that guy right now is Kerryon Johnson. He was the 11th running back that I've scouted uh, over the course of – that I've been watching film on over the course of the last week. So I didn't do it in any kind of speed-blind kind of way. I've been giving myself I've, – I've watched o- 
over an hour of tape on most of these guys. Uh, I mean, I'm pro probably an exceedingly and uh, obsessively and compulsive uh, amount of tape, more than maybe even necessary. But I know when I'm doing it, I'm doing it for Roster Watch Nation. So, you know, and I'd seen that the trash man was really high on carry on Johnson. Uh, so it's funny. I had kind of, I'm very confident in all of my, all of my grades here, but carry on was the one guy that I said, man, this is one that I'm going to have to go back and watch and do again, maybe one or two more times. And I'm going to have to see what happens at the combine because if something's just not reconciling for me here on carry on. So actually you're going to hate this for me right now. Carry on Johnson is my number 11. And it's not because I hate him. Again, we said there's going to be 10 or 15 guys that we like. And a lot of these guys are pretty tightly clustered. Where my initial problems with Carrion Johnson are, I'm a little worried about his body type. I, I He's very, he's, he, he looks long-legged to me. He's pretty thin. I mean. And he, and he, he has a wildness about the way that he runs that I'm just unaccustomed. I couldn't really put a comp to it. And, you know, I thought maybe a little bit of Carlos Williams out of Florida State was a little bit similar. But on the other hand, Carlos Williams came out of a pro-style offense that I like. I hate that Auburn offense for grading a running back. It sucked for Trey Mason. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, it's just I hate it for grading on Johnson. Now, I know I have friends who are big-time college football guys who have been telling me for a long time <coughs> to make sure <coughs> I give on Johnson – you know, really, really good look. So for me, this is one that's a little bit polarizing. I'm a little bit nervous that you and Trashman have such a high grade on him. Maybe because I did watch him at the tail end of all these other guys. I don't know. I've seen everybody else and I feel like I gave everybody ample time. And I, I you know, I, 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 like I said, I wasn't speed blind or doing it at some time. I was real tired of watching these guys. So I don't know. Carry on is one that's hard for me to get a handle on Alex and I, I need to see his numbers at the combine. I need to see how he moves at the combine. And then um, I'm going to just have to go back and watch a lot more, a lot more film on him. Uh, I'd say right now where I was a little bit concerned is I thought he's a pretty poor blocker from the tape that I watched. I, I say poor, not, not poor, but just not as good as some of these other uh, guys that are in that 210 uh, pound plus uh, range. And then I was a little, can you say his patience? I was a little concerned about his just natural feel and his instincts. And, you know, a lot of it, I think it has to do with that Auburn, that, that Auburn offense. Um, also have some, um, I wonder how like elusive and sudden he really is, what kind of creator he is. Well, I, I just, um, I, th I think he's going to test. I, th I think he's going to run a, I think he's going to run a four, four, Three. I think he's. I think he's super fast. So we'll see. I mean, I think that that's certainly that's certainly going to help his certainly going to help his his case a little bit there. And again, I want to get a little bit of a closer look at his body type. Just on tape, his body type. I think so too. Very I mean, strange. I'm be excited to, to see his body type at the podium or the table, wherever they put him. I think they. You know, I think you put Carry on Johnson at a podium, but who knows? He's going to look good. Well, and I'll tell you what. I mean, the Trent Richardson rule for me, it's always the safety check. You know, there's there's many things that I'm grading these running backs on here on. I, like I said, it's a 240-point scale. But my safety check is always the Trent Richardson rule. And that's to check for feet, vision, and lateral agility. And in my initial evaluations, those are all areas I'm having a, a little bit of trouble with carry-on. He's not bad, but I'm just not – I'm not – 
I haven't been able to grade him as high as other players in that area to this point. That's certainly stuff we're going to be keeping an eye on. We'll be watching his shuttles, his three cones, his 40s. All that's going to matter. Uh, certainly his broad and his... Um, the trash man only has high four jumps. running backs in the entire class with agility uh, at, the, at, the, at his highest rating. Saquon Barkley, Darius Geis, on Johnson, and Martez Carter from Grambling. So <laughs> that's interesting. Uh, who, who, who is your number three? Yeah, so my number th- – well, my model is giving me not a virtual tie, an exact tie at number three between Ronald Jones of USC and Sonny Michelle. Michelle of Georgia. Uh, now, I, I, what I would argue – I mean just to try to simplify this so I don't have to go through the whole model with everybody is essentially – Sony Michelle has the better NFL body type. He's the bigger body guy uh, that we like going into the NFL. Ronald Jones. So, so first of all, very similar skill set. If you don't get one, you'd probably be happy with the other if that's the kind of guy you're looking for. Ronald Jones coming out of USC, a slightly more traditional running back skill set. Uh, whereas Sony Michelle's coming out with the better NFL body. So for me, I give the edge to the better NFL body in that situation, which is Sonny Michelle. I'm, I would actually go in here and I would break the tie myself and rank Sonny Michelle as my number three and Ronald Jones as my number four. The Ronald Jones loyalists will tell you that Ronald Jones is three years younger than Sonny Michelle and that that's a big deal to them. And I guess just quickly where Ronald Jones tested off the charts for me is – uh, you know, obviously I have the concerns about his size, but I told you about the Trent Richardson rule. That's the always the final safety check is always feet, vision, and lateral agility. Ronald Jones scores exceptional in all three of those categories for me. Uh, he's also got amazing balance, short area burst. He's a natural runner. His stop start is incredible. He's elusive. He's sudden. Really, the only knock on Ronald Jones is his size and his weight. Now, some people will say he's got the same body as Jamal Charles at about six foot, 200 pounds. So I love Ronald Jones. I love Sonny Michelle. Neither of those guys are – both of those guys are much, much more than a consolation prize for teams who don't get Saquon or Darius Geis. Um, but it may it may depend a little bit on the style of running back you're looking for. The scheme they may be a little more scheme dependent, Ronald Jones and Sonny Michelle, than somebody like a Saquon or a Darius Geis. But hey, don't call me a Uncle Zunky if one of those guys a Uncle Zunky, <laughs> an uncle's an uncle's an uncle's monkey. Don't call me an uh, if uh, a monkey's uncle if. Uh, Ronald Jones or Sonny Michelle even were to slip into the look. We said Alvin Kamara last year. We 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 wrote the article from the combine. We said if if you if you're a team that wants Christian McCaffrey and don't get him, you could take. We could justify taking Alvin Kamara at the end of the first round. Somehow the Saints stole him in the third round because the NFL are complete donks. This is the intelligence that we have for you guys here first. And Ronald Jones and Sonny Michelle easily could be, you know, viewed like that by NFL teams this year. Well, I have Sony Michelle as my number four. So um, I think you and I, I mean, I agree with you about Sony Michelle. I remember during the college football playoffs this year, we were texting back and forth saying that this guy comes in looking like a second year Kenyon Drake sort of looked. If he's going to fall into a situation like that, you could see him, you know, coming in and, 
you know, just having this, I mean, the guy has every physical tool that there is. I would have liked to have seen him catch more footballs uh, last year. And also, if you look at the market share, it's not that great from his final season, but that was simply because he played uh, with Nick Chubb, who didn't have a terrific market share either. But both those guys over 1,300 yards from scrimmage last year. But they didn't use them much in the receiving game, which I thought was pretty interesting. I, I'd like to... Um, I'll be interested to see how Sony Michelle looks kind of catching the catching the football. But I have Ronald Jones. I have one player between Sony Michelle and Ronald Jones. So I have Ronald Jones as my number six. Um, my number five, can you guess who it is? I'm hoping it's mine. I mean, the guy that sneaks into this kind of top the guy that sneaks into the top five for me is Kalen Bellage. No, he doesn't sneak into the top five for me. For me, it's Rashad Penny. Well, that and that's very reasonable. I like Rashad Penny quite a bit. So uh, I'll just I'll will t- tell you quickly why I like Rashad Penny. I know that Kalen Balage was on our All Senior Bowl roster. Jalen Samuels on our All Senior Bowl roster. Why would you have Rashad Penny ranked above either of those guys? It's just the fact of the matter of you know looking back at the film from San Diego State, um, looking at his body size, looking at his body type, you know, he's five foot 11, he's 224 pounds, uh, hands at nine and one eighths inch. So big enough hands to where he's not going to uh, be any sort of issue as far as fumbling. But you just look at the, what he was, his production in college and just how sick that college tape is. He has the, as far as I'm concerned, he has the best vision of any running back in this entire draft. Uh, the Trashman and I both agree on that, both in full field vision and envision through the line of scrimmage. He just finds ways to squirt into open space that is um, uncanny. And once he does, he can turn on the Jets. You know, the 2,383 yards from scrimmage last year, that was a 46% market share. He had a 54, uh, just an unbelievable 54% market share of his uh, team's total touchdowns. He had a 50% market share of rushes. And the only area where he was a little bit deficient was uh, only a 13% market share of uh, team receptions, only 19 receptions. Uh, The one area where Rashad Penny is terrible is in pass protection. I don't know if it's something that he can fix, um, but coming in, Rashad Penny might be worse in pass protection than Kenyon Drake was in pass protection coming out. So um, Kenyon Drake's done a lot over the course of the last two years to fix that. I think that towards the end of his second season, Drake was actually showing up as a good pass protector. So it goes to show you can fix it. Uh, But that's my biggest knock on Rashad Penny. Everything else really lines up there for him. Uh, So with that, I guess you've gone through your top four now. You said that your number five is Kalen Balazs of Arizona State. Yeah, and let me just quickly mention on Rashad Penny, who's gonna, who's my number seven. And it's funny, I, again, I've gotten a virtual tie out of my model on Jalen Samuels and Rashad Penny, two, two guys we both really liked from the Senior Bowl. And I, I'm making the uh, personal call to put Rashad Penny uh, over Jalen Samuels in my rankings. I think for the same reasons that you just outlined, pretty much it's just he's a cleaner running back pros- prospect. He profiles much more as a traditional running back in all ways that really projects quite well to the NFL game. So so there's some level of certainty there in the transition to the NFL and his scheme fit in the NFL that you feel really good about Rashad Penny. Certainly a very nice runner. And I, I think a team like the 49ers who maybe don't get a 
Maybe they don't go with a Geis or something in the first round. You know, that's the kind of player that would be just fine for a Kyle Shanahan in like the in the third round or late second round or whatever it might be would be a really good uh, fit for them. I'm with you, Alex, where where I have a problem with Rashad Penny, and I weight this pretty heavily into my model, is he's a he is a he got very low pass protection grades for me. He's a poor pass protector. And that's a huge problem in the NFL because that makes you a two down back uh, pretty quickly in this league. And he was a good receiver. You know, he's a decent receiver on tape, but he wasn't filled with receiving volume. So it's not clear that he's an excellent candidate to be a third down back here. I find that to be a, a problem with Rashad, Rashad Penny. I also just don't see him much as a creator or a elusive stop-start guy. He's more got great vision, and he's going to run awesome in the scheme that's designed for him. And and, and, uh, and the other and that's thing, not and a knock. Thing, well, that's not a knock kinda, either. I don't want that to be is, seen. though, because Donnell Pumphrey did the same kinds of things in that offense. Well, you wonder how the hell Donnell Pumphrey was starting over this guy. Right. So I mean, that you really want, I wondered that while I was watching the tape. I said, how the hell did Donnell Pumphrey start over this guy? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense, right? That's what I'm saying. I think it's a little bit of a concern and a possibly a knock, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so yeah, number five for me was Kalen Balaj, a guy we loved at the Senior Bowl. I guess uh, yeah, I, the short and sweet of it is a, you, the concern, I guess, with him would be was what is what is his scheme fit in the NFL? I'm very satisfied with what I saw in the college film in terms of production and his ability to be an NFL running back. Very, very satisfied with what we saw in Mobile the week of the Senior Bowl practice and during the game with Kalen Balaj as he projects to being an, an NFL back. And my comps for him are David Johnson, Latavius Murray, Ty Montgomery, and Le'Veon Bell. It's a pretty good cop, crop of players. And Kalen Balaj is a fucking exceptional in the passing game as a running back. I really didn't have any – the thing about Balaj, I don't have any deficiencies on Balaj. I don't have a single place where Balaj has a deficiency. He graded well across the board in every category for me. Uh, are, where I'm a little – where I'm maybe a little concerned is about his body type. He's got the weight at 220. At 6'2", he's got that little bit uprightish you know, taller frame than I'd really like. But, uh, man, this is a guy that excels in some very important areas. This is a guy that passes my Trent Richardson safety test quite well when it comes to feet, vision, and lateral agility. He um, He's not the greatest blocker, but he's a willing blocker. He's an excellent receiver. So I think this guy can play on third down. Um, and then I just don't, when it comes to any other category on the 240-point scale, there's just nowhere that's deficient. Everywhere else is at least... At least good. And you know what? I think people are going to knock Kalen Balazs for being this guy in a wide-open offense. Maybe he's not a downhill runner. You think of no, him as this I, pass receiver. No, I, this guy, the guy, Kalen Balazs gets down down the fucking well, the, hill, well, the, man. Well, that's what I – I mean, my worry is not about – I don't think anybody – if you watch the film, nobody's going to worry about Kalen Balazs as a north-south runner. I mean, when he gets to the football, that's well. People that's are going to be does. concerned. He's that there. People are wondering if he's going to be a receiver in this league. So I'm just saying, there's some people with the stigma that he's some guy you I, you split out, split out and do all this other cockamamie business with. I'm we're saying you can line him up and you can run downhill with Kalen. Yeah, Balazs. but my concern with Kalen Balaj and why I, I mean I've Kalen Balaj ranked as tied for number ten with 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 in in my list, and the reason why I think I have him a little bit lower than Byron is I just have there are just worries that I have about. 
like we talked about how how magical Saquon Barkley is getting to the edge. I, I wonder with Kalen Balazs, with all the physical gifts that he has, why he seems at times to be so slow to the edge. It seems to at times wherever linebackers can take good angles on him to get it, get him corralled uh, in those sorts of situations. He's dynamic as a pass catcher. We've seen the way he looks in all of his drills, the way that he's looked in camps going back to high school, and the way he looked at the senior bowl. Um, he can catch the football like he's Odell Beckham. You know, I mean, he's unbelievable. He's a sick athlete. Uh, if he's got a hole in front of him, he could run the ball A gap, B gap. You know, he can follow his blocks. He can get north and south. I'm not saying I worry about his lateral agility. I guess I just worry about his full field vision as a runner. Um, so for me, it's just a. I, but I don't think anybody should worry about his about his north, his, his ability to get north and south, his ability to come downhill. I mean, the one worry that you probably could have is the fact that he was not productive last year in in, in college at all. Only 760 yards and six touchdowns. So um, something to be concerned with there. He did split time with the other kid, uh, Demario Richard. And, you know, a lot of times it just takes getting out of that kind of committee and getting into one that features you a little bit better for what you're going to be wanting to do for you to really break out. I think Kalen Blodge is going to be a really good player, but just on my initial prospect rankings, I had, I had a hard time getting him up any higher than uh, any higher than, than 10. Who did you have as your number six? Because I had Ronald well, just, Jones. Just, just, just quickly, though, I mean, when have we ever seen anybody be that good at the Senior Bowl from start to finish, practice through the game, and not turn out to be a good NFL player? I mean, when they're that good at the Senior Bowl, they turn out to be good. And you know, look, the only the one I can think is, of is Philip Dorsett. Yeah, and this was that, and and he he's the type of player that could fizzle out right. in the NFL at a little pee wee size like that. Now, you know, and the other thing is too. You don't want to get caught sleeping on a David Johnson from the Senior Bowl. Yeah. And that happened to folks. That happened to folks because you wouldn't have thought David Johnson was great to the edge at the Senior Bowl. That's true. That's true. Yeah, you don't want to get caught caught sleeping on him for sure. I like Kalen Balazs. I, I I kind of thought I liked Kalen Balazs more than the average dude. I, I, I guess not. Um, who did you have as your number six? Because that's where I had Ronald Jones, and we just talked through your number five at Balazs. Who comes after him? I'm going yeah. I'm, I'm to guess it's Nick Chubb. Yeah, it's Nick Chubb, who my NFL comparison for him is Jonathan Stewart. I like that. It's a good comparison. Who did who did Trashman compare him to? Trashman compared him and tra dude, Trashman hates Nick Chubb. He hates him. Trashman has Nick Chubb as running back fifteen. He compares him to Marshawn Lynch. What, well, not the combine is very important to Nick Chubb. We need to see. People want to know how this guy's going to test. As you watch the national championship game, I mean, look, and it's a terrible against Alabama. Shuts all these guys down. They shut Fournette down. They shut all these guys every time they face them down, and everybody thinks they stink. They make everybody look slow just because their front seven just demolishes uh, you, but and and just and consumes you. But I mean, Nick Chubb is a guy that. I went back and watched all his 2014, all his 2015 before the injury, and then I compared that to the 2017. Is this the same guy? I think there's signs of it, but I think with Nick Chubb, everybody wants to know, does this guy have the, you know, the juice? Is it going to translate to the NFL? And is has it and has it all come back? And so I think the numbers are going to be very important for Nick Chubb. Is the tape's pretty good, but your concern is always you know, how is this going to translate to the to the bigger, faster boys? 
in the NFL. I thought that's why I thought Jonathan Stewart was a pretty good comp because Stewart's turned out to be a good back, but never a, a world beater. I like Nate Chubb too. I agree with a lot of your assessment on him. I'm very interested to see what he runs at the combine. Looks like Trashman hasn't projected to run a four four nine. So I don't know if that's his projection from watching, um, watching sophomore and freshman tape or watching tape uh, from post injury, but. We'll see how that goes. I'm I'm very interested to see how how Nick Chubb runs because there are, you know, there are plays where he looks like he's absolutely, uh, a sp- you know, a, a speed demon, and um, he's one of the players who I really love in his own scheme at the next level. I like his cut and go ability. Um, I like him in inside zone, and I like him just as much in outside zone on the str- on the stretch play. He's a guy who I think if you put him in one of those old Shanahan, one of those old. Um, old Shanahan type of, um, you know, Denver offenses or something like that. I think that he would really, really flourish in just a pure kind of outside zone and stretch sort of capacity. Uh, he's, he's actually my number, my number seven. So who, who is, who is your number seven? Rashad Penny. Okay. So we've already been over him. Um, let's move on to number eight. Yeah. For me, number eight is my guy, Jalen Samuels, from the senior bowl and actually turned out uh, quite a few people I'm finding out on tw- like our good friend Mike Loiko loves himself some Jalen Samuels Love and, and Loiko loves him you know and uh, our concern I guess from the senior bowl and as it manifested maybe in a few carries during the game it, it, it showed up on tape for me I have concerns about Jalen Samuels feet his lateral agility his short area burst his suddenness kind of just his 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 twitchiness I definitely do have a concern about that you know, but he had a great week of practice, and the guy is a dynamo in the receiving game. Has put plenty of good film down as a uh, as a runner as well in college. He's got the wonderful, wonderful size at you know f- almost just about six feet two twenty two twenty three is what we have him out here, a little over five eleven. He's I stood right next to him on the field. He's got a a great build. For an NFL running back, I think he's a little more scheme dependent. That's why I put Rashad Penny over him. But I think the right team, like the Patriots or somebody who wants a Corey Clement type of player, I mean, he's 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 a much better version. He's an, he's better than Corey Clement. I think that's a good comp. He's like a he better, better version. I like a better that. version of Corey Clement is Jalen Samuel. So a little more scheme dependent with him. But you know, the funny thing is with the zebra technology, uh, uh, zebra who's been. Uh, who measured all of the athletic movements of these guys at the Senior Bowl? Who, who your boys here at Roster Watcher have began working with on um, initiatives with that technology moving forward? You know, Zebra uh, revealed to us that Jalen Samuels had the highest top speed. I I don't know if it was anybody at the Senior Bowl or at least of the running backs. It was like some. I want to say it was twenty twenty one miles an hour. It was one of the one of the very 20, highest top 20, speeds. Twenty one point eight. Because it was I mean, only that's, Traquan that's, Smith who, who had the higher one at 22.1. So, you know, that's hard to reconcile because I'm a little worried about the twitchiness and the burst. But then – and that surprised me based on, you know, the good week of practice. But then you see that number. You say, well, the guy is fast. So maybe he's got good long speed at that size. Maybe it, maybe he's not a real twitchy guy. These are the things that we need to find out about Jalen Samuels. But as a whole, on for his skill set – in the right scheme, I think he's going to be a really interesting player in the NFL. He's a 225-pounder that caught almost 80 footballs last year. He's a dynamo. Dude. I mean, he's a dynamo in the yeah. passing game. Yeah, so, I mean, he he, he made my list. 
uh, as well at number nine, actually. But my number eight was John Kelly from Tennessee. He's a player that has really, really grown on me quite a bit. Um, have you watched much of John Kelly? Have you seen him at all? He have you? No, I rounded my top ten or eleven out with with the Senior Bowl guys. Okay, so John Kelly, he's only probably you know probably five nine or five ten somewhere in the. I can't tell if he's two hundred pounds or whether he's two hundred ten pounds. That's why the combine is going to be a big deal for me because I think this guy is going to run like lightning, and I love his ability to elude defenders in the most maniacal ways. He is a, I'm, I, I might be a little bit worried that he gets hurt, you know, because he, he's a guy who he, uh, you know, people call it, you know, people say that certain runners like set the tone or that they, um, you know, they really bring their pads or stuff like that. He's a runner who's a little bit smaller that can do all of that, but even still reminds you in the craziest little ways, the way, like in the ways of his wiggle and the ways of his twitch. And maybe it's just those um, Tennessee jerseys, but just reminds you of Alvin Kamara, you know, and just there, there's a little something about him that I remember whenever Kamara was coming out, he gave us a little flash of, maybe a small bit of like Ryan Matthews to his game. I kept thinking about that when I was watching John Kelly. I think he's a guy you're going to need to watch a little bit closer because I, I do believe that he probably deserves consideration, at least for you to put him toe-to-toe there on your uh, model against some of these other guys you have in the top ten. I, I'll be interested to see where he turns out for you. Looks like the trash man hasn't uh, done anything on him yet, but to me, he's like a Darren Sproles meets an Alvin Kamara like a bigger Darren Sproles meets an out, you know, you know, Darren Sproles was for his size, just so, so physical. He, mm-hmm. Like he reminds me of that meets a Camara meets a one that I heard. I forgot who said it, but one I heard that I really liked was an Ahmad Bradshaw, you know, just a really, a really nifty and tough runner that has some dazzle to him that has some pop and some flash and some sizzle. And you know how much we love those three things. Oh, definitely. And then I'll just round out my top 10 here. I, mean, I I wrapped up with the guys that we have the most intelligence on to this point, and that was with the remaining senior bowlers, who I thought were good players. So I didn't have any qualms with this. And just by a hair, Edo Smith beats out Akram Wadley for my number nine spot. And Akram Wadley out of Iowa comes in at number 10 uh, in my initial rankings here on my 240-point uh, running back scale. Well, I'll be th- there. There are a few players that I'll be interested to see you add on to that scale, and those guys will be uh, the guys that are right. I-, I have Mark Walton from Miami tied at number ten with Kalen Balage. I'll be interested to see sort of how you uh, how you grade him out. Also, uh, L.J. Scott, who's a favorite of the Trash Man, who I have here inside my top twelve. And then one sneaky guy I have at number thirteen, and I think he has room to move up from there. The second most productive player in college football from this crop, if you consider his Nevada season from 2016 instead of his Iowa season for 2017, that was grad transfer James Butler. Um, He was responsible for 37% of the market share uh, there at Nevada for uh, total yards from scrimmage, 41% of the market share of touchdowns, 55% of the market share of – of total rushes and 18% market share of receptions. He caught 37 balls and 
I mean, kind of reminds me a little bit of a Matt Forte type runner. Uh, I'll be interested to see where you have James Butler, Mark Walton, and LJ Scott. So um, anyway, so uh, I guess we should move on to some of these Twitter questions. We'll run through them real quick. Byron, I know you got to get out of here. So let's just go through them. This one comes from uh, Mr. DX. He says, for the pod, what's the deal with Polian going going all-out maniacal on Lamar Jackson? And what did you miss on your initial evaluation of Michael Thomas? <laughs> you want to answer any of that? Yeah, I mean, on Michael Thomas, what we missed on the initial evaluation was the limited route tree at Ohio State. Also, some folks we trust in the industry that you know passed on information that he had had trouble assimilating the playbook at Ohio State. And then just his general arrogance and, um, I mean, he was pretty arrogant at the combine, kind of rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, but it didn't take and, us long. And we, we, had intel- we, and we had probably some bad intelligence. They said that he had, yeah, that, had, that he had trouble picking up the playbook. Uh, yeah. it, was, it was bad intel, and it turned out to be wrong. And look, we fixed it pretty quickly. We sent the trash so man out to, Ohio, out to Ohio State Pro Day, and he came back with – you know, the film of Michael Thomas just looking explosive and beastly in his routes during his pro day. And I mean, I'll never forget the exact couple video clips that I watched. And I just said, oh, man, this is this guy's looking like he might be a little bit of a different beast. And then it didn't take long once he got to New Orleans to see that that was, in fact, true. And uh, he's a smart, sharp guy who picked up you know, sophisticated offense with Drew Brees quickly. So, yeah, one of the few one of the few misses, but we make sure to write that ship as uh, quickly as possible. Bill Polian, he is going all out maniacal. He look, really I is. haven't. I my plan was to do start doing a lot of a lot more of my quarterback evaluations between now and when we arrive in Indianapolis. Obviously, I love getting to watch those guys throw there. I don't like having too much of an adulterated mind heading into those throwing sessions. I get sessions it. I just think it's stupid. I, I think it's stupid the way that he's contradicting himself and the way that Kuyper's contradicting himself and saying that stats are for losers when you talk about Josh Allen, but then you talk but then he you know, he berates Lamar Jackson's uh completion percentage, the way that Bill Polian you know, says that Baker Mayfield's plenty tall enough to be an NFL quarterback, and then says Lamar Jackson, who's six foot three, is too short. I don't know what he has against Lamar Jackson. Well, I think- look, look, he's the Bill Polian's a former GM. He's thinking like a GM, and he's thinking that if he was a GM, this is the kind of prospect that gives you a huge headache that you'd really not rather hang your job on. I get it. I think it makes perfect sense whether Lamar Jackson is going to be a great prospect or not. I've still got more work to do. I know he's shown all the physical tools, whether he puts it together as it translates to what they're looking for in the NFL. You know, I'll I'll be certainly curious to see what my evaluations end up being on that. Um, But I think pretty obviously from Polian's point of view, he's thinking like a GM and he's thinking, God almighty, this is a massive headache. If you're a GM, I'm not sure I even want to deal with this. Well, what's so bad a headache? I I mean, Lamar Jackson, I thought he was a good quarterback and he, and he's, and he's like the fastest quarterback I've ever seen since Mike Vick. I just don't think it's a headache. I I think it's kind of weird. It's a huge headache for these guys that want to go in and run a, run a normal NFL team with the normal NFL offset offense. And now they got some rookie they got to bring in a first or second round pick or something. Some rookie they got to bring in. Everybody's going to want to play. You got to create some offense where he's going to be running around like a madman. 
you know, at least for his first couple of years. It's just not what they're looking forward to doing. And the next thing you know, you got people worried about it. Robert Griffin being, you know, he got injured from the hits. And, you know, you just wonder if that thing on how hard, how is it? It's a headache to put together. You got to craft something different around it than you were planning on. And then it can unravel pretty quickly as well. You know, it can work out too. But who has it really worked out with? I mean, if you get Mike Vick, great. That's great. He didn't really win. He won a playoff game, I think. He beat the Packers in Green Bay. Uh, Mariota is a good passer. We still haven't seen what's happened. You know, he's gotten to the playoffs. He's what about done all right. Cam? He's a terrible passer. Well, right, but I mean, he's be, he's been a Cam, he's been a quarterback. This 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 yeah, latest well, team is, deep into the Cam playoffs. Is, Cam is bigger than a linebacker. He's six foot five, two fifty. But he has the same sort of. I mean, I think that Lamar Jackson has a different kind of. He's a different kind of running threat, but I think he still threatens the defense in similar ways with his ability to yeah. run. But I don't want that. What I'm saying is, I don't want that kind of player unless I get that kind of body type. I want a big monster that can absorb the punishment. And we've even seen Cam Newton start to – he's had the shoulder surgeries. I mean, it's, that starts to wear on you after a while. Even a big – if you're going to have a player that runs around like that, they got to be Cam Newton. They can't be Robert Griffin. And there's a difference between 6'2", 220, and 6'5", 250. Fair enough. All right, so let's go to the next one. This one comes from our boy Sully in Houston or Sully from Houston, can we get the story of how the three of you met? I'm assuming he means me, you, and the trash man. Pull back the curtain a little bit. I'm not sure you want to pull back the curtain on the trash man. Um, Byron, do you want to do you want to give a brief overview of that? Do you want me to? What, I mean, well, I mean, I think I think I was kind of at the center of it. So Alex and the trash man were in a rock pop rock band together, a college pop rock band, and I lived with the lead singer of that band. Yeah. I and 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 because of just a, our kind of our circle of friends, I had maybe kind of known these guys from afar. Like I had friends that were in the same fraternity as Alex and stuff. So I didn't really know him, but maybe he was a little bit of aware with them. But once I once uh once Will and I lived together, the lead singer of this band, uh that's where some of the after parties for these pop rock shows started to go down was at my house. <laughs> Those are fun parties. And I think Alex showed up and he saw what at the, what at the time he thought was the biggest, wooliest dog he'd ever seen in his life. Uh, I had my first white German Shepherd at that point. I remember you were kind of blown away by her. And then the main thing was, though, is that Alex found out that I had Direct TV yeah. NFL Sunday ticket as like a 21-year-old in college, I was working extra to have just money to pay for that because I was a maniacal Jerry Rice lifer and fan, and I just couldn't even imagine not being able to watch every one of his games possible there down the stretch in his career. And it didn't take Alex long. I think uh, one one or two after parties, Alex woke up on the couch the next morning to Sunday NFL ticket, and I think pretty much we watched about 13 years of football, never missed a Sunday after that. Yeah. Um, that's where it all started. And the trash man, of course, weaseled his weaseled way in like his, a fucking uh, dirt ball he is. All the way in. And that's the thing is people don't realize yeah. like this stuff, like, uh, like the whole stuff about the trash man being poor and being, you know, smelling like shit and like being just kind of apathetic yeah just like he doesn't he does like the way he doesn't care about any, any of his responsibilities like that's not a bit that's all true 
Like he, he's a he's a shitty guy to hang out with. But the trash man is a really smart, really good hearted guy, and he's been a great friend. And so when they, when you guys kind of went your own ways musically, the trash man was still very much a local. I guess we used to say y'all were both local celebrities. I forget about that. Uh, you know, we also we also our friendship became kind of uh, uh, cemented at the poker table quite often. Yeah. During during those years as well, and so hey, lots of uh, lots of fan, lots of uh, fantasy doctrines. At least the roster yeah, watch so, doctrines surely come on yeah, exactly uh, from 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 you know poker for sure. Um, all right, let's see. Let's just get one more. Let's go to the question from uh, Eac, one of the kings of the message boards at Eac twenty nine. One of our most maniacal uh, supporters and friends of the site and the podcast and the show and everything. He wants to hear your, I want to hear your guys' best fishing story. It could be biggest miss, best catch, best overall story, whatever you considered best. He also wanted to add in that his favorite was, um, he, he's when he was seven or eight, he went fishing in Mexico with his dad. It was a charter for Barracuda. Since he's the youngest, he got the first catch. Sure enough, it was a monster bite. After a twenty to thirty minute fight, he landed the monster. So, what's your best? What What is your best fishing story? Oh fuck, man, that's a hard one to really think about. That, that's the thing about fishing is there's rarely ever you're always in pursuit of that perfection of that perfect experience, of that perfect fishing story. I really, you know, that's what Jerry Rice used to say. He was always in pursuit of the perfect game all the way to the end of his career and he never felt like he had it. And that is what always motivated him was to still try to go have a perfect game. He said he, he could always go back and find like a block he missed or something, even in a game where he went bananas. And so anyways, that's part of the allure of fishing is the pursuit of the monster, the pursuit of that perfect day. Um, God, what's my favorite one, man? I, I That's a tough one. I mean, I think Key West is the my favorite fishing trip I've ever been on. The first time I ever went out on the flats boat in the flats of Key West, that was just a different kind of fishing I'd never seen or been exposed to. It's really everything you want. It's saltwater fishing with all kinds of amazing fish to catch, except you're basically in a small lake-type boat in three or four feet of water where you don't have to worry about getting seasick or anything like this and it's just absolutely beautiful although it's crystal clear you know it's emerald and um so i caught my first shark my first couple of sharks there that was um that was uh those were big big fights and i mean they were four at least four or five footers um so i'd say that was like that was that's a really memorable that's very memorable to me, just being out in the flats at Key West, catching my first shark. Uh, Alex, you know, man, I made that sh- I, I made that shark permanent. Yeah, for sure. I I I can't believe it wasn't that it, it wasn't your Alaskan salmon meat haul. That that was my favorite fishing trip of yours because you brought back so much meat for everyone. Yeah, meat hauls are fun. Meat hauls are fun. I mean, sport fishing is really excellent. Right. We'll we'll be back to Alaska soon. Look, if you want to fill your freezer, that's the place well, to go. I've gotten the, and yeah, the next time. I've already gotten the okay the, from my wife for the for the for the next time. As long as we can. Oh yeah. I mean, I just I feel like yeah. She just said if you can bring back a bunch of fish, especially if we can get after some halibut, 
Because that halibut well, is so expensive. You can bring well, back. Well, here's a that here's the thing. Here's the thing, man. My dad wants to go on the next trip, and uh, Josh's dad wants to go again. So, jo- our good buddy Josh, he's a salt. He's a salty saltwater captain. He's the he's the wooliest fisherman that we know. And he, I went to Alaska for this big meat haul with him, and I saw him for the first time in several months the other day, and. We we're talking about how he's still got salmon coming out of his gills 18 months later. And we both agree, man, that salmon is a great and a healthy fish, but there's just only so much salmon you can eat in this world. And the next time you go back, we go back to Alaska, it's not really for the salmon. I mean, trust me, we like the cohos, the silver salmon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like those much better thinner, than those kings. They're, those kings are thin, too much, they're, too they're fatty. Too fatty, yeah. too fatty, too oily, and it's a very fishy, fatty, oily, and the fillets are so thick. You got to think about cutting them in steaks, otherwise it's just too much. The silvers are perfect. So I will go limit out on silvers but what you're really in alaska for are you're in alaska for the halibut is unbelievable and those rockfish dude you're there the rockfish is the fluffiest softest mildest flaky white fish with like a little nutty flavor that you've ever had in your life and then related to the rockfish just a bigger version that alaskan cod is Unfucking believable. That's what we so need to go on the meat hall for. Those fish. Yeah, and Josh says next time he wants to fly into somewhere like Fairbanks and go out of like Seward. So where we went last time in Sitka, if you look at the map, it is Alaska, but it, it kind of looks like northern Canada where we were at. Next time we're gonna fly straight into the heart of Alaska and go just go out to those seas that are right down there under the you know the real main part of alaska it's like it's going to be the same fish but we're going to switch it up a little. all right well i'm on board this time i got the okay from the from the wife as long as i bring back the food so that'll be cool i think my best trip it's hard man i think like um you know ever since my dad passed away i always think about like our you know before he got sick like our best fishing day where we basically limited out on our uh, we had to use both of our redfish tags for big redfish. I think that was my best one. Um, just kind of being with my dad. Like, we, there were so many times we got skunked, you know, going after reds. Um, but that day, we were just we, we got into a big run of the uh, speckled trout down in Laguna Madre here in Texas. And then we, you know, the deal was, like, those reds were always my dad's favorite. They've always been kind of my favorite. So, uh, for... That's that, but then also, man, like this last last year when I was in Mobile Bay on my kayak, or actually my dad's old kayak, he had a sea kayak. My old man would, he was a maniac about he he would like he'd go out in the ocean and he would fly fish for big big fucking fish on this little kayak. But I was in Mobile Bay and I got into something on top of this shipwreck that I go out to sometimes, and whenever I caught it, I thought for sure it was a big bull red because I caught him on a live shrimp. And, um, this thing pulled me all the way out into the mouth of the Mobile Bay Delta, sort of out into this area called the Dixie Bar where the waves get so fucking big. And I was like, man, it's gotta be a red. All these reds hang out here at the Dixie Bar. Finally got this, this, um, fish pulled up after he dragged me about a mile just around, you know, around the corner of that Delta. And it was a, it was a black, it was a big black tip shark that was about half the size of the boat. So I got that thing landed. I got it on video. I sent the video to Byron and like my mom and uh, my <laughs> wife and stuff. You know, I got to land a shark on my dad's boat. Just the, the thing that was the huge pain in the ass was 
getting back to shore after that, that was a deal where, you know, at certain points I thought, I legit thought that there was a chance I could get swept away to sea and die. But um, awesome time. Uh, it's always cool to be able to, you know, land a shark out in the out in the ocean just on a just on a kayak so that was yeah that's not even really my gig like shark fishing but it it, it really is cool to kind of catch your first uh a nice shark out there in those in those warm waters i'll say this too um it's, it's just so hard to pick fishing in remote canada for things like northern pike and muskie is unbelievable in the remote wilderness in those glacier lakes up there that's mind-blowing shit that will i'll definitely be back for and then uh the one thing that happened for me this year that was really memorable that if i could i would i would make it happen every year i'm actually going to see if i can try to is um fly fishing in the mountains on the first snow of the year was it was that was incredible no, it sounds incredible, and I don't even like to fly fish. I get, it puts me on such tilt. But if I was the first snow of the year in the mountains, and it was at a place where the fish were biting, like I knew what kind of fly to use. It sounds like something that I'd even be into for sure. All right, well, it was a lot of fun to answer these listener questions. We might do them again for the Friday or the Thursday podcast next week. I think it's a good addition. If you guys like it, let us know. If you like the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe in iTunes and on Stitcher. If you'd like to support us here at Rosterwatch, please consider going to rosterwatch.com, getting a pro membership. You not only get access to all of our premium content, but you also support us in our maniacal endeavors to make sure that you are never, ever, ever again a fantasy football loser. We have a whole lot of stuff on tap coming up here in the coming weeks, so make sure and keep up with us there at Rosterwatch. Get a pro membership. Give us a follow on Twitter at Rosterwatch. So for Byron Lambert, for the Trash Man, for the Robot Genius, and for all of Roster Watch Nation, this has been the Roster Watch Podcast, brought to you by RosterWatch.com. We will see you next time. <laughs>